Welcome to Brazen Education with Educator Barnes, a podcast with a focus on speaking your truth, being transparent to help others, and having no shame about it. Because we can't move forward until the truth is known. Well, welcome back to Brazen Education. I'm super, super excited. Today, we have Educator Tina Algren on our podcast. And the reason I really wanted Tina on our podcast is because she is someone I admire when it comes to policy work. Because a lot of times when we think about laws and we think about policy, we think about people that are sitting in the state house. But any policy that is made in the state house, it has an impact on us, whether it's in the classroom or in our daily lives. And it's really important for people, especially educators, to be engaged in policy. So, Tina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Shante. I'm so excited to be on today. Um, I've always admired your work uh, as far as bringing the truth to light in education, and you're willing to be honest with what's going on so that we can, as you said in your intro, move forward uh, and make a better space in our community for our students and their families. Well, thank you. And I know, so I know Tina well enough to know that she's going to be like, why are you saying this? But at one point (laughs) in time, she was the teacher of the year for our state. And so that's super, super important to note. So like, that's like the, the high echelon of awards that you can get. So runner, I was runner up. (laughs) I didn't win. (laughs) Runner up, like, like you got up there. And, um, and the reason I mentioned that is because I remember that and I remember all these articles that were covered about you. But then I remember like, oh, like there's this union thing she's involved in. And oh, she's speaking at the state house. And oh, she's involved in this work. And so there's a part of me that's like, she's an excellent educator. And then there's a part of me that's like, she does this policy work. So does, how did that intersect? How do you, you know, work becoming this excellent educator who also became this person who is well known in my personal opinion um, as being involved and engaged in policy work? Yeah, so I, I think that would go back. My really first work in policy was probably around 2008. Um, and so I started teaching uh, straight out of uh, college uh, in Indianapolis Public Schools. And I had, um, so at that point, 2005 was when I started. So I'd been in about three years and, you know, really starting to kind of hit my stride um, as far as feeling comfortable as an educator, starting to kind of get my feet under me. Um, And that's when I really started just getting a little bit frustrated uh, with some of the challenges kind of around me that um, I didn't see the solution as being immediately within my power. Um, or within even my, you know, school's power, my school, sometimes even the school district's power. And um, so I would say I I was really kind of starting to get burned out almost in a way, uh, being frustrated with with hitting a wall uh, with regards to some things in education. And so um, the Teach Plus Policy Fellowship really came along for me at a a perfect time in my career. And I, I say often, I think that's what's helped keep me in education. Uh, is the work in policy. And it's given me a purpose at times when I've um, struggled to find the purpose in the classroom. Um, And so that helped me find an outlet for that frustration uh, at a time I needed it. So if you're not familiar with that policy fellowship, um, I was actually a part of that first cohort uh, when it first came uh, to Indianapolis. And the original goal was for it to be a two-year fellowship where we learned for a year about what is policy? How does it work? How does the state house work? Um, how are laws made? How can we as teachers impact that? 
And then the second year for us to kind of pick passion projects to take to the legislature. But weird things happened uh, from almost day one of our fellowship. Big things started happening both at the state and national level with race to the top. And uh, so uh, the directors kind of came to us and were like, we are so sorry, but there is not time for education. Like we need to throw you into the deep end right now. And so I often say that my policy work has actually kind of gone in reverse order. Some of the very first work I did was at the national level, which is wild to think about. Um, and, you know, I'm proud, I'm proud of that work. Uh, but uh, I know when you had <laughs> Andrea Hanley on, she often talks about that the that big national work is not what impacts you day to day. So yeah. if you kind of look over the course of my policy work, you know, from kind of started kind of at this almost big national and then state level. And now most of what I do is, is more local uh, because that just really gave me that foot and door of like, I have something to say. Educators don't often uh, talk to legislatures. They don't they don't hear from us or if they do hear from us, it's the same people telling the same stories and legislators genuinely do want to hear from us. Um, and so with that fellowship, it, it kind of opened the door to me uh, to explore how I could impact uh, my students' lives in a positive way through this work. Now, um, one thing that's interesting is I, I think I haven't always stuck with one organization. Um, so mm -hmm. <laughs> I I think I'm a little bit unique in the world of education and education policy and that I um, have at one point or another kind of worked with all sides um, of, of the coin as far as education reform goes and um, improving our educational environment and sides that sometimes disagree with each other. And that's because yeah. I, I really try to keep our students at the center of it. And so any conversation I'm having anything that I take on, I always try to center our students and what the impact is to them. Um, and so the Teach Plus kind of got me launched. Um, then I did some work with some other organizations um, across the years who, you know, reached out to say, you know, we think that this would, would be a good opportunity for you, you know, sitting down with, I remember sitting down with uh, Governor Mitch Daniels once because an organization reached out and said, we think that they want to hear from you. Uh, and then really my work with the, the union, I, I'd been a member for, for many, many years. Um, and, uh, when I was named IPS teacher of the year, uh, we had a brand new superintendent and, um, a lot of the work that I had done prior to that time period had been around teacher retention and, uh, around, the positive impact it has on our children when we can keep quality educators in the classroom. Some of that work around pay, but specifically around what it takes to retain quality teachers. And um, also at that time, they were kind of, again, the stars kind of aligned for me. Um, I had all this policy experience with teacher retention. I was just named IPS Teacher of the Year. I had a brand new baby, a, a literal newborn, which was a nice sympathetic mm -hmm. face. And we had a new superintendent who really liked public relations and splashed my face all over billboards. Um, <laughs> and I also, um, we had been in a very, very long pay freeze in IPS. Um, yes. So we had not had raises or moved at all in, um, or had a contract actually, in approximately five years. Um, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and so all of this kind of aligned to the the folks around me saying, okay, who can stand up and make a a scene here? Who can who can afford to put themselves on the line for this issue? And it kind of, you know, folks coming to me and saying, like, Tina, you need to be the one to say something because you Dr. Farabee cannot fire you, <laughs> basically, was what they said. Is you know, he's he's touted you and your good qualities all around the city. Um, you need to be the one to stand up and say, this is not okay, right? And this is why. And so I really took on then the fight of within my district, uh, helping in improve uh, our compensation packages and help therefore retaining teachers. Um, and so that's really been where the bulk of my work has been since about 2015 um, is around local policy. Um, again, the finances of Indianapolis Public Schools, helping track those um, and make sure that uh, we're getting the most that we can for our teachers while still being fiscally responsible uh, moving forward. And uh, what I think was really powerful about that piece is that um, it was then that the union came to me and said, okay, we see what you're doing. We want, we want Dr. Farabee to have to actually look at you <laughs> when we go to the table. And so it was kind of after all of that, that the union brought me on board saying, like, we want you on the bargaining team. And now I lead that team and help. Uh, again, I, I bargain the contracts, uh, including the most recent one that just passed last November. Well, you hit so many different different <laughs> areas. And transparently, I also did the Teach Plus Policy Fellowship. Mm -hmm. And it has morphed over the years. And I don't even remember which cohort I was in. But I know my cohort was 18 months. So we were a year and a half. And to Tina's point, the first year was just learning about like how bills become laws. And you wouldn't believe how many people don't really understand how that process worked. And then we kind of narrowed down on the leverage that you can pull. So from Teach Plus, that's actually how I started doing education writing. Because before that, I was literally doing gardening writing when I were telling you like how to cook your Brussels sprouts and how to grow them. That's literally what I was, that was my writing content. Um, and so they're like, no, you could actually write in a different way and move the needle and move the lever. And so Tina was one of the people that was mentioned during my cohort about someone that was successful and like under like taking all the tools we had learned taking them and like being successful and moving the needle and and if you're listening uh today one of the things that's super important is just becoming an informed person like understanding mm -hmm. the process because a lot of times you hear from the same people because they have either their privilege or their flexibility to do so so i've spoken at the state house before me speaking at the a state house, I had to give up eight and a half hours of time because the first time I went, I sat for four hours. And right when the bill got called, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. And they're like, we're going to go for recess and we'll call. I'm like, no, 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 no. I took off for work. I've been sitting here for four hours. I haven't even eaten food, even though other people were legit eating food. But it was like my first time speaking. And I was like, I don't know if I should eat in this place or not. So then I had to take off for more work to come back to sit another four and some hours. And then finally they called my name. And then when I get up there, you see the clock that is counting down how many minutes you have to speak. And I wrote my thing out in advance and I just remember feeling so much pressure when I was speaking. But when the, uh, the, the legislator, the people there that started asking me questions, that's when I found my calm because I'm like, oh, they actually heard me. 
and they actually asked like good follow-up questions. So even though that was like a long process to get my voice heard, I did indeed feel that it was worth it. And also Tina alluded to the fact that policy work is not just at the state house. It's also as local as being a, a part of the union. So before we started to air today, I told Tina, I talked about her in uh, my class. Um, and so she doesn't know what I talked about. So she's finding out like live, real time right now. So it was like years. So one of the things I talk about, as most of you guys know, is the importance of saying names and spelling names correctly. And one day I was venting about this again because my name got either mispronounced or misspelled. And Tina saw it on Twitter. Well, X, formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> and um, she's like, oh, I just introduced a, um, a MBI, which is a new business item about like this name education. And so I actually, cause there's a, you can go and search your handle and someone else's handle to find where you've interacted. So I actually pulled the screenshots and I showed my students because we had been taught, I teach teaching and learning in middle school. And so I talked to, I almost every class, I talked to them about getting involved even before they get a classroom because I want them to understand the power of that. And I like showed the screenshots of the tweet and then she had uh, Tina responded back to say, hey, like this thing actually passed. And so it was just really cool that something I've been advocating for a very, very long time, like still like, in this moment, like turned into someone like, oh, this is actually a serious thing. We should actually provide some guidance. We should provide some resources. So people are saying their colleagues name correctly. They're saying their students names correctly. So I actually shared about that in class. And that really I just remember looking at my pre-service teachers and they're like, Oh, that's like so cool, Professor Barnes. Uh, so I just wanted to tell you, like, thank you, because it's like it's sometimes it gets exhausting advocating for something and you feel like you're just in this silo screaming into the void. And then someone comes along because I didn't call Tina to say, hey, <laughs> introduce this thing. She's like, oh, I remember what you talked about. I introduced this thing. So there is power in policy. And sometimes you feel like you're doing work forever, but things move forward. So with that being said, can you tell us a little bit about like, I know you probably can't get into like specific strategies, but what things do you keep in mind when you think about negotiating or pushing forth the policy? Um, you said you helped with the recent like bargaining contract. What mm -hmm. things do you keep in mind? Because you have like the union views and the teachers views, but you also have the district that also wants what they want. So how do you like, gather information and prepare yourself for these type of negotiations with turning into policies and contracts, um, things that are enforced that your pay has a really real effect yeah. on what you actually do. So um, what goes into that work? Yeah. So I, I kind of see two sides here. So like, um, I, you know, I could talk about, you know, what I do to decide what policy I'm going to like support and work on. Um, I will at least briefly though, talk about the union contract side. Um, one of the very first things we do is uh, survey our members and see what it is their priorities are. You know, we ask questions about insurance and about compensation, which really is some of the very few things we actually can can work on. Uh, but uh, we reach out to the affinity groups in the district and see what their um, priorities are, which was a really big boon to us in this last contract. Um, I can talk about that in just a moment. But uh, we reach out to as many constituents as we can. And then um, I literally, I start, I have a file right now on my computer for 2526. Uh, and that is, um, I start accumulating now. When someone says, you know, here's this problem that I encountered, here's this weird situation that mm -hmm. no one ever thought of that has happened to me. And I try to uh, put it there for, okay, when we're back at that table, when I'm preparing for this, what, um, what, what, what do I wanna make sure not to forget? 
Um, and so then a couple months ahead of time, I, I sit down and uh, with my team and we set out our priorities, right? What, what have we heard from everyone? What have we seen? Uh, I do a ton of spreadsheets in the background, trying to figure out exactly how much money IPS has. And there's legal requirements around how much of it is allowed to go into the contract. Um, and there are really dire consequences if, if you actually go over that amount. So, uh, you know, our yeah. goal is to push IPS as far as we can uh, while not risking uh, over, over, overextending them. So um, without going into too much detail, you know, there's an example of in Muncie right. where they overextended them and the teachers had to pay money back. So that's our worst case scenario, right? Uh, but I want to know that uh, IPS has invested every penny that, that they can, right? Um, and so I run a lot of spreadsheets and often at that point in time, we don't know exactly what the student count will be. So I have our you know, best case, worst case kind of in between. And we prioritize uh, what what are things and, and we split our list into, into two kind of buckets, what costs money and what doesn't. And so where can we um, advocate for things that uh, cost them money, maybe more indirectly or uh, or more quality of life kind of pieces uh, and what is directly going to cost them money. Now, again, the state has very narrowed our ability to negotiate. So we can only talk about uh, yes salary and fringe related benefits. Mm -hmm. But part of that is time off, which is where a lot of our work came this last year. Uh, so this last year, one of our affinity groups raised up to us that uh, our our non-Christian religious uh, staff members were being forced to take all of their personal days each year uh, and even sometimes unpaid days to attend their religious holidays because we only get um, two personal days each year. And if you have two to three religious holidays that you have to take um, because our mm -hmm. calendar is more Christian based, then uh, you, you don't get to take any personal days throughout the year. And so we were able to advocate to the district and in this most recent contract added what are called two floating holidays, which for um, then uh, folks can have two additional days to use as they see fit for whatever makes sense in their life. So for a lot of our, you know, um, Jewish colleagues, that means taking off, uh, you know, the high holy days. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, we also have Muslim co colleagues that have other holidays. Um, my, uh, our Mandarin teacher at my school just told me today that she's taking off Friday because she has a large Lunar New Year celebration coming up. Uh, for me personally, <laughs> I'm actually using mine for the solar eclipse. My dad is a very huge um, astronomy buff, and uh, he and I like to travel together to make sure that we can uh, see the eclipse together. You know, it's, uh, he's getting older, and I really want to spend that time with him. So for, for me, that's my floating holiday. Like, how I'm going to use my floating holiday, but I'm really proud of that work because it's, you know, taking into account um, the needs of our folks. And that's a way to improve, uh, make our folks feel valued without necessarily costing a, a ton of money on the district side. Um, and then, uh, you know, no, we tried, oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying that was a good point. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, fiscally, uh, we try to be strategic and uh, with how we deploy funds, we try to be as equitable as possible which is really challenging uh, because the reality is the last 20 years, really 15 years, um, there's been a lot of back and forth at state house that's made each contract kind of have different rules and um, different groups have benefited in different ways. And, um, but at the end of the day, there's only narrow guidelines in which we can write <laughs> the, the uh, contract. And so we do our best to like, get creative within the rules. Um, I'm kind of proud of that. Uh, there's a group that reviews our contracts called IRB, 
um, in the employee relations board, and they, uh, you know, are trying to make sure that we stick to the, to, to the letter of the law. And uh, I get really excited when they kind of hand slap us and say, mm, okay, that fits the letter of the law, but not quite the spirit, because that means that we really have as between um, my union and uh, the district, we've gotten creative to try to be as equitable as possible. No, that's a great point because a lot of times teachers are not treated as other professions. So like when you just mentioned about the floating holidays, like my mm -hmm. husband has that for his job. That is like a real, it's just like a general thing. And sometimes we don't think about the fact that you can't do all the things within a school break because all the things may not literally happen during a school break and you may need time off for other purposes. And we should have that because those are the things that make us continue to choose um, this profession over and over again. You kind of alluded to um, being proud of this contract, but I'm curious, um, are there other pieces of policy on um, whether it's union, state house that you were a part of, um, that you're, you were like, I'm really proud I was a part of that. And I really feel like the work that I did really moved the needle. So I, I, you know, I would really say around teacher retention and IPS, um, and that's not one piece of like policy, but um, I actually had the opportunity a couple yeah. of months ago to do a story slam kind of event. And um, what I ended up doing, because I was researching um, my own journey through this policy, I actually ended up just reading um, clips from newspapers across the last like 15 years. Um, and I actually ended up like crying when I was putting it all together because it was um, 15 years of tiny, tiny policy and structure wins that when you put them all together, painted this big picture of like, oh my gosh, like I, I've had this impact. And so it started with a, a Teach Plus uh, uh, policy brief that we wrote, again, I think it was 2008, nine, um, called the cost of loyalty, where we laid out the fact that IPS at that point was actually the lowest paid across all the districts in Marion County, except for like one year at Speedway. Um, and that was before the pay freeze. So, right, like, we were already the lowest. And then when the pay freeze hit, I mean, it, it became a massive difference, right? Um, and so through that, one of the articles that I was quoted in talked about the retention rate um, of IPS that year, which was like, there was one summer that we turned over almost half of our teachers in a, in a year, um, it, that, which is insane, right? That's, that, and it's detrimental to kids, right? Detrimental to kids. And costs a lot yeah. of money for no reason, right? Like recruitment and retention Oof. is also a fiscal issue, right? Um, we have to train new employees. We have to, I mean, there's so much to it. Um, but as as we went on and, and you could see kind of the, the wins and the setbacks, right? So um, getting Dr. Farabee to make a commitment that we were going to have that first contract. So um the group that I was working with at the time in 2014, like in literally newborn on my shoulder, um, going in front of cameras and saying, I have to choose between paying for daycare and my IPS kids. Right. Um, and we, we had this whole barrage assault planned, but I mean, pretty quickly, Dr. Farabee came and said, hold up, hold up, we promise we'll do a, we'll do a contract. We haven't done one in years, but we'll do a contract. We'll get a raise. We'll figure it out. And he actually made me do a press conference because he was like, I just, <laughs> I need, I need you to stop. Uh, and so, uh, you know, from, th from, from that moment, um, you know, watching each, each win and each contract and, 
I mean, one of the, one of my favorite things is like you're so excited about this first contract back with Farabee, but the reality is is that there was actually no money for it. it and we talked about those legal bounds about the money, and so it was actually mm -hmm. there was actually no raise. It was just a stipend in that very first contract. But we had a contract for the first time in five years. Um, then the next one, we were able to give some raises for the first time, but for some people it was like eight hundred dollars after five years of nothing. Uh, so you know, there was a lot of step forward, step back. And again, that with uh, that particular contract, which I believe was 15, 16, 16, 17 that in there. Um, that's one where the state was like, we do not like what you did. Like you, you tried to be equitable. We don't like that. So we have to like, they completely changed the rules on me, like, because they didn't like basically what I did um, to try to make uh, what, what I basically did was I indexed how much each, uh, not each individual employee, but each level had been uh, impacted by the pay freeze and then mm -hmm. distributed the funds according to that kind of index of how much they'd been impacted because it was very different depending on where you were in your career. Um, and it was kind of odd how it worked out. I mean, it was like, for instance, if you were in your 20, you were about to go into a, a stalled portion of our pay scale anyway. So you actually didn't lose anything other than cost of living increases. Whereas if you were in 19, year 19, you were about to get a big bump and you would have had that for the next few years. So each individual group was affected differently. But the, the state came back and said, in the future, everybody gets the same. Right. So they tried to reduce that. And so, again, then we got more creative and pushed back in different directions. And in fact, um, as you know, our big pay raise in IPS came 2019 uh, with mm -hmm. the uh, referendum that was passed in 2018. And part of that was we had to lobby at the state house and say, okay, we know we have this referendum coming. We need the freedom to use it how we want. And not like if I have to give the exact same amount to every person, that's not, that's not going to fix our problem. And so we were able to get uh, basically a one-year reprieve from the state uh, to um, distribute funds to make up for the recession, however we wanted. And uh, that non—it was not a coincidence that that lined up with the year that IPS had the referendum funds because we wanted to make sure that we had that opportunity. And again, I'm, I'm well, proud of I'll all the work that went into that. But a lot that you're talking about is about strategy. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes people don't think about that because I worked in IPS for three years and I came. So I was in Wayne for a while. I was in Washington Township and then I came to IPS and I was a teacher leader for the three years I was there. So I was getting a stipend on top of my salary. But I remember the first it was like within the first week I worked there, another employee looked me up because at the time IPS, if you got hired, they published your salary in the board report, mm -hmm. uh, which they don't do. Um, well, you know, they don't do that, that practice anymore under Dr. Johnson. Uh, and someone said to me, you just got here and you're making more money. You had, you had fewer years of experience. You just got to our district and you're making more money than I am. And so that's what and I wanted to give that tangible example, because that's one of the things that Tina is talking about, about how depending on where you were, how you came in in the district, your salary could be a bit off. And it really wasn't fair because giving everybody else the same thing actually doesn't fix the fact that I was here. So essentially, 
if you came into IPS, like after this pay free thing, you were at a different level than people who pay was frozen. And so those people were salty and they should have been salty uh, because like, yeah, everybody getting the same. That's actually didn't fix the issue that I didn't get any raises this whole entire time. And then at that time, um, uh, IPS continued that stipend model where they were giving you these stipends if you were doing teacher leader work on top of your salary, which for some people, they were like, oh, this is a little bit different. So uh, also in policy work, it's like the consequences and the unintended consequences following the law, the lawmakers not liking what you did. So we're going to change stuff on you, trying to find a way around the law, yeah. trying to get like an out. Like there's all, all of these different um, things that you have to deal with. So we talked a lot about things that are in the past, but right now the legislation <laughs> is, uh, legislators in session. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff popping off. And I assume that there are some topics that you are just fired up about. So what are some topics as much as you're comfortable with sharing with us you're fired up about? And if you're comfortable sharing about your, your views or like your concerns, mm -hmm. if, and for those who don't understand how our bill goes in, it's not how it ends up because there's things that get taken out, added, continue, writers, things are slid in. Um, but as they are now <laughs> on February 7, 2024, uh, what thoughts and concerns do you have? What, what bills are keeping you up at night? Well, interestingly enough, they're not mostly education bills, which is rare for me in a session. So I should probably add that um, I know a couple of, of months ago you had on Andrea Hunley, who um, I haven't I haven't mentioned yet was uh, my principal uh, right before for a number of years before she became the state senator. And she's a huge source of inspiration for me. Uh, but she uh, kind of helped spur me in the direction uh, pretty early on in my time working for her um, that, you know what, like some of these issues that you know, I'm running into that I want to help my students and I want to help with aren't aren't going to be solved with education policy. Right. Like so mm. she kind of started pushing me a little bit more outside of my comfort zone with education policy, uh, which I could talk about all day. But, you know, she said, you know, where else and what 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 other things are happening in policy that impact our students and impact our families? Um, and, you know, I know she talked quite a bit about uh, gun safety and yes. those pieces for me, um, some of the pieces outside of education policy I've really focused on in the last few years have been um, mental health care access um, and have been, um, you know, uh, food food access in our community. And uh, currently, my, one of my big kind of hills I'm on is public transportation access. And uh, so I've actually I ran for office for the first time in 2018 uh, just to be a delegate to the Indiana State uh convention, just get a feel for like, what it's like to have your name on that ballot. Um, mm -hmm. But I quickly, or so actually I say 2018, it was 2020. Uh, not only did that become a virtual, <laughs> but I quickly realized like, okay, I like this piece, but it's, it's not very impactful. Um, and then uh, I actually in 2022 ran to become my precinct committee person for the neighborhood. So I am the lowest level of elected government in my neighborhood, but that's given me a door into conversations uh, about things that are not education policy with local uh, community leaders. And so gotcha. a part of that has been a lot of work around, as I said, mental health care access. Um, I'm really proud of the city of Indianapolis and the work that we've uh, been able to do over the last year and a half. So if you don't know, Indianapolis, 
for the first time. Uh, it actually just debuted in the East District last week. But we have a mental health crisis response team that is non-law enforcement that goes out mm -hmm. when someone calls with a mental health crisis. That, again, that's not an accident. They came from organizations in this community working and pushing the mayor's office to, to make that happen. Similarly, then we went to the state house, Senate Bill 1 last year uh, in the 2023 session was helping fund programs like that. Uh, some, one of the organizations I worked with, ACT Indiana, their idea was, you know, we want someone to call, someone to come who is not uh, a police officer and somewhere to go. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of success around that. Um, and those same groups now have uh, picked up work with the low barrier shelter um, that were, is planned for downtown Indianapolis and specifically public transportation because um, that does allow access to a lot of folks in our community to work, uh, expands their options and expanding their mobility. Uh, again, is actually it's like access to quality transportation is one of the biggest, uh, biggest factors toward economic mobility that exists. So uh, I say that just say, uh, you know, in Indianapolis, we have had uh, the red line that opened uh, for rapid transit uh, up and down the Meridian Street corridor. The purple line along 38th Street mm -hmm. is just about to, to open. Um, and in my neighborhood, um, uh, we're about to get, in theory, <laughs> the blue line going down Washington Street. And um, again, knowing families that live up and down Washington Street, knowing uh, the schools that uh, would receive greater access to students by the blue line being along Washington Street, I'm, I'm a big advocate uh, for the blue line and uh, for the infrastructure changes that will come along with the blue line that will also make that street safer. Um, right now, six to eight people a year die on Washington Street and many, many more are um, injured significantly. And so uh, the infrastructure changes that come with the blue line in should, by all research, make it also safer. It reduces the amount of areas of conflict for pedestrians, bicyclists, and motorists. Um, but currently, under that's under attack at the state house. So a lot of my work so far, if you if you're stalking my <laughs> my Twitter, uh, that uh, most recently you'll you'll see a lot about Senate Bill 52. So Senate Bill 52 is uh, on the surface attempting to eliminate the designated lane portion of the blue line, which would be the part where the bus gets its own lane. Uh, but what they know is that it would actually kill it entirely because if we don't have designated lanes, the um, federal funding gets pulled, which is half of the project. Uh, so the legislators are um, picking a little bit at, at Indianapolis right now. The other thing that's in that bill is the no, the no turn on red signs that were added downtown would be eliminated. So, um, you know, things that are clearly public safety oriented with no reason to remove them are being under attack. And um, I I think part of what this is a little bit personal for me is that uh, we've seen in education for a long time, the state house pick at Indianapolis public schools specifically, like writing yes. bills that, you know, legally they can't just say Indianapolis public schools, but they find a way to narrowly define us. Um, to make legislation that impacts only us. And now we're seeing the same thing happen with our city as a whole and not allowing us to make the decisions that are best for our like our citizens and that our citizens have voted for. <laughs> and so I really like take offense at that idea that um, particularly when there are things that are to improve our public life that that we would just throw those out because someone has a vendetta at the state house, right? Um, so yeah, and, and <laughs> if ahead. you're not familiar with, 
Yeah. And if you're not familiar with Indianapolis um, per se, because I know people listen um, from various places, um, our city county council pass things. And then what we find, those of us that live in Indianapolis at the state house, other laws that are passed that essentially undo the things um, that are passed. Like, because when you talked about the no turn on red, like my husband works downtown, he works in the government center. That's where he works at. So when I have to go down there for whatever reason for him at work, I'm just like, it's like so stressful because people are legit trying to turn on red. They're trying to do all these things. I'm like, that's why we're trying to put these safety things in. And so when you think about this whole entire state, to have a policy affect the place where like, you know, and then also we, it's the state house. So you have people that show up to Indianapolis who are not from Indianapolis. That may be the first time they're there and they're trying to navigate all the one way streets and how we just go in the circle and, and trying to find a park and all those things. So like the stop in my personal opinion is like, those would help people like, Oh, I can stop. Read the signs, see which way. Oh, this is a one-way street. I cannot go this way. Like, this is dangerous. Um, so um, that's the other thing with Tutina's point. Like, they don't come out and say they're yeah. targeting the capital city, but we know is targeting the capital city. And there's been a lot of push here um, about the public transit. I have been following um, Wild Style. I can't Pascal, remember. Yeah. And yeah. he's been doing a great job advocating for public transit and also like trying to inform citizens about because you hear a lot of people like, well, the bus is annoying. And I'm like, like me, transparently, the last time I rode on the bus, it was Metro bus like that. It wasn't even called Indigo. It was called something totally else when I like I moved through when I was three and I my I rode the bus because my parents had one vehicle. So you have people saying I don't want transportation who literally have not been on the bus and don't understand that you know yes we're not chicago no we're not new york no we're not dc but like we have the all-star game coming here and people are coming to our city expecting like oh i'm like well well you have to come downtown <laughs> you can go back out to where you want to go we don't and oh it's probably gonna be another half hour before the bus comes because we haven't set up the infrastructure um, for the bus and, and then like the tragedies that Tina mentioned are are real because even I live on the northwest side of Indianapolis and there's a portion there's a grocery store in particular that I patronize people get killed by that grocery store all the time and there's several different um, Indigo bus stops but there's no say like they're literally walking in the street because we don't have the lanes and the things set up for them and so it's like we want to keep people alive like this this should be simple but um is 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 really important to get involved so i know we're kind of getting close to a close so tina if someone was sitting here listening to you like okay i'm fired up i should do something and then they're like man what should i do like what advice do you have to someone who's like i am new to this i i, I hear you tina i believe you i need to do something but i have no clue what even a first step would be what advice would you have for someone just trying to get their toes in the water take a first step well, I know one of the things like you talked about is like this process is not meant to be accessible. <laughs> so um, I want to start by saying like there is no way even I, I cannot follow it all. I cannot act on it all. So part of it is like I try to find organizations that I have that I trust. Um, there are many, many, many public organizations in the state. Uh, you can find one who helps you for me again. Those I, I tend to follow my, my state teachers unions. Uh, I, you know, I'm 
what are they saying? Uh, again, that teach plus because they have that little bit of an educator perspective. You know, I'm reading Chalkbeat. Um, again, more recently working with a group called Faith in Indiana or Act Indiana to see the kind of more non-education policy stuff. Um, and I like, what are what are they uh, looking at? Like, what are you know reading their newsletters, saying and finding something that I am passionate about, and where I feel like my voice would actually be useful. So that's one of the challenges I know when you talk to, to Andrea Hunley again, you talked about that value. Of, it has to be really your story for it to be impactful. Um, and so thinking about where, which of these bills, which of these areas um, can I actually uh, speak on and have it be a unique voice? Um, so sometimes that's a little bit challenging. Uh, so I know, again, Andrea has always been this great a voice of reason for me. So I, when the bills were going through the state house in 2023, and there was a bill um, that was really trying to end our ability to talk about racism, uh, to be able to talk about other issues in, uh, house bill 11 in our classrooms. We yes. have yeah, that really was two years in a row uh, of trying to go through. And, you know, I said to Andrea, like, hey, mm -hmm. do I really have a unique voice here? Like what is because even though it was something I was really passionate about, I wasn't sure that I was the right person to speak on it. Now, she helped me find that unique voice and talking about um, some of the lessons that I do and how even I in a very welcoming school district with a very supportive administrator, like would feel um, like afraid to, to speak. But, uh, you know, really what I would say, like find that space because then you're talking from your heart, right? And you're telling your story and, and you're not uh, relying on somebody else and like that focus on that one piece of legislation or that one area first. And again, it helps to know what other organizations are doing uh, so that you can also sometimes just pitch in and help them. So again, all of these organizations, like I, I would say, I'm not a good organizer. Like I am not the person to fully organize your campaign because like whether it's uh, a campaign again toward mental health crisis or campaign toward literally getting elected, I'm not the person to organize it because like as a teacher, our lives are too busy for me to commit so that full piece, yes. but like, let, yes. like, tell me what you're doing and I'm going to see where I can pitch in and I can, I can see where my voice is going to be actually useful. I do, I do want to say though, cause I, I want to be cognizant that I try to be very careful not to speak over folks too, to be like cognizant of, is this a place where I think I know what's right. And I'm speaking over people who know better. And that's part of where those organizations come in as well. I want to give a huge shout out to faith in Indiana because, um, they, for me, are a huge way to connect to uh, folks all over the city and get to hear from those folks and really make sure that what I'm fighting for is really what they want, <laughs> right? As opposed to like me out here on this crusade thinking I'm solving a problem when really um, that's not what the community actually wants. Um, because it's so easy uh, as a white woman to try to speak over folks. And so instead I try to be cognizant and um, you know, elevate their voices where I can. And, and sometimes that's even supporting them and their testimony efforts. Um, so I didn't get a chance to talk about House Bill 1047. That's another one that is on my radar for this um, thing, in part because I have a, a, a friend who um, that, that bill is about AI revenge porn, which does not sound in any way related uh, to my other work. But we do have a teacher in this city who whose students last year uh, made AI porn of her and distributed it not only to her students, but to her sons. Uh, and so wow. she's, she's been, uh, you, know, you know, she came to me and she said, I know you work in policy, like how, what can we do? And so 
um, you know, we, I wouldn't say that we like led the charge, but kind of behind the scenes talking to Andrea and other folks, like, what can we do? And, and now there is this house bill 1047, which should close the loophole that allowed, um, those, those folks to kind of get off, uh, of, of major consequences because, uh, in, in prior, prior to this bill, if it passes, um, revenge porn had to be taken in person. So like the image had to be made while both gotcha. people were together. So AI generated was like a loophole in this law and that's both federal law and state law. Um, and so I say all that to say, like, wow. part of that's like elevating her voice. Like I didn't have a story to tell there. Right. But to be able to like right. connect her to the people and say, uh, you know, this is what happened to her. Like, like she wants to, she doesn't want this to all be for naught. Like she wants something to change out of this. And so now it's like helping prep her to testify as this bill goes through the process. But, um, you know, it's really just starting small, like where, what is something that you care about and your voice is unique and, and going there. <laughs> Sorry, I could talk no, about this forever. So I'm points. like, what did I, okay, I, I know, I know, but no, those are great. Those are great points because i the time I spoke at the state house, I've only spoken one time. I was asked many times before that and many times after that. And the thing that got me at the state house was about school discipline because it impacted me personally as a student in Indiana. It impacted my children and it impacted my students. And I had a story that I'm like, I can tell this story because sometimes like House Bill 1134, which they dubbed the anti-CRT bill, I was passionately against what was happening. But I didn't feel like, to your point, like I had a unique viewpoint. And also, I wasn't in the classroom anymore. So I mm -hmm. also felt like I would be talking over people who are currently in the classroom. So what I actually did during that time, which many people don't know, I helped. I like spoke to people who, and I don't even know if some of those people spoke or not spoke. Like, how do you stay within the time limit? How do you craft an argument? Yeah. Uh, what is the process? Yeah. Because if you don't sign up, you just can't show up and get in line. That's not how it works. So like when I sat for four hours, I signed in four hours ago and waited <laughs> for them to call the bill. So even just explaining the process to people, because sometimes you can be involved in policy without being the person that's mouth is open and saying the things. You can be helping by explaining the process or this is how you do a good argument or be prepared for them to ask you questions. Um, be prepared to answer um, with questions. If you can cite a source, uh, some research, um, that will be great. Here's a person that you can connect with because there's always groups, to, um, to Tina's point, there's always groups that their job is to go through the research and the articles and they will send you articles and send you stuff, not necessarily to influence what you say, but to take some of the work off the table that you don't have to feel like you have to go in the archives and the library at night to find this stuff. They have found it for you and then you can look at what you want uh, and then use that to, for your testimony or whatever purposes um, that you have. Oh, I have so many questions and I know we're pretty much out of time. <laughs> I so, know. Tina, You'll have to have so me back. <laughs> I will. I will. So uh, final thoughts. What are your final thoughts about education policy and teachers? And if teachers were going to go do something like this week before this week is over, what is the one thing that you would want them to do, especially teachers that are in Indiana while the session is currently open? Ooh, while the session is currently open. So uh, number one, I think don't be naive to think that like you can be above this, like that 
that that you can sit on the sidelines and not be political because our jobs are inherently political, like whether we like it or not. And policy is going to impact us one way or the yes. other. So like you can either sit back and let it happen or you can be a, a part of the process. And um, again, our professions are not designed to allow us to really engage with this, right? Uh, I think our, our, our profession is so overwhelming that it's like in its own right, that even beginning to take on this work can can be intimidating for a lot of people. But uh, it will happen to you whether you like it or not, right? This policy, These policies will impact you. And so um, there's a couple of policies that are education related that right now I think it's worth folks looking at. Um, I, I say that because they're not things that I am... I don't want to say super passionate about, but like, I feel like I don't have a unique voice, but maybe somebody else out there does. So uh, right now, gotcha. um, House Bill 1073 is about um, putting cameras in specific parts of schools, uh, specifically around special education students and areas where there's like seclusion or restraint. And um, I honestly, I'm not sure how I feel about that, right? Like I want to protect our kids. Um, I want to make sure that like, schools are doing what they're supposed to be doing to keep them safe. But at the same time, like we've often learned that cameras can be a slippery slope um, to mm. um, insert them in individual classroom areas. Um, so, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's not a huge <clears throat> slide from a camera in that classroom to a camera in every classroom, which again could be, oh, we want to monitor discipline. But, you know, we just had yesterday in the state of Indiana, Attorney General Todd Rohita drop the eyes on education portal, uh, mm. which if you don't know, is uh, a portal portal where anyone, anyone can go on yeah. and without verification, uh, report yeah. uh, schools and districts for and individual teachers for what is essentially legal discussion of LGBTQ plus issues and racism. Um, that's really what they're targeting. They call it indoctrination. Uh, but uh and, and it goes up on the website unchecked and verified. And so I can only imagine, again, if we had cameras in our classrooms where that goes. But again, I, the whole point of that House Bill 1073 is, I think, is an important bill. I just I, I am not personally sure how I feel about it. And so I feel like but I feel like the folks who are in those roles, like really need to be there making sure it's clear, like what that their opinions are getting heard. Uh, another big education bill going through that. Um, is Senate Bill 50, which is about um, having chaplains in the schools. So it's a little bit interesting. Um, and actually, did your pastor speak about that? Bill, he did. Um, yeah, Gray Lassane, uh, the uh, the the head of Christchurch Cathedral in Indianapolis uh, downtown, uh, went over and he spoke about you know students' religious freedoms and how uh, he was concerned that this would actually negatively impact students' religious freedoms. Uh, mm. And particularly, uh, so he actually spoke against the bill. Um, but you know, there's a lot of concerns about students being, um, feeling pressured to interact with uh, chaplains who are uh, from a faith tradition that's not their own. Uh, in part, it's actually yeah. kind of billed as like a replacement for school counselors, which is also a little bit concerning. And there seems to be no duty to report um, anything that's heard. So there's a lot of concerns around that. But again, it's not something that I personally have have been working on. But I think that uh, folks who are more informed, particularly again, school counselors um, area could really have an impact impact there. 
Well, thanks for sharing um, that information because that was super helpful, especially about the video cameras. And I do think there was a case in Brownsburg last school year with a kid um, that was special needs that was forced to do something and that yeah. person ended up being terminated. So in the back of my mind, I wonder, and again, this is not a bill that I'm following particularly closely because again, I don't have a unique and that's not my role, but I wonder if on the other side, that is the why to that. And that is not me being forward against because I'm not yeah. form enough to tell y'all forward against. Um, so I, I think about that. And also, I think people need to keep an eye out on, about what the attorney general is doing with this eyes on education portal, especially because if, when we think of government, we think that government is going to put verified fact-checked information yes. out into the public forum. So uh, me personally, regardless of how you feel, we all, I believe, should have some questions about um, that. And then um, an article in Chalkbeat, Indiana. If you're not following Chalkbeat, Indiana, you really should do so. Um, also sign up for their text messages for the session because um, they send you every single day like an a, a, like an overview of things that are happening there to keep you in, informed. But they wrote a, a very a decent article about the fact that the schools that were being reported when it launched, they even, they had no clue. Like they didn't even know they were on it until they're finding out and getting called by the media about it, uh, which is problematic because if the whole goal, if something wrong is happening in your school to fix it, you would think you would start at the school. Um, so just going to leave that, leave that out there. But Tina, I always love um, talking to you and having you on. And I definitely will have, I may have to make a habit of having you here for every <laughs> every single session so you can give us like the rundown and the advice but i just want educators and just people in general because um half of my audience is actually not educators yeah. um, i just want people in general uh to feel like um they can be an engaged citizen because i think sometimes especially during the pandemic i think people kind of lost heart about like i can actually like create change in our society. And I think we mm -hmm. have to keep hope alive and believe that, yes, you, you at home, um, you can actually create change in our society, even if it's a little change, or even if your change is just helping someone else push something forward. So um, thank you for being here. Um, I'm definitely going to have Tina, uh, Tina back um, yeah. <laughs> here on, on, on the show. And um, I will see you all on the next episode. Thank you, Sante.